1: Hey, everybody. It's Scott Pinyard, head coach of This Naked Mind. And as you know, we've changed the format for this coaching questions podcast. We're still going to answer awesome questions for you, but I'm going to do it with a rotating co-host every week. This week, I am very excited to have Wendy McCallum with me. Wendy, how's it going?
2: It's going great. I love the title of co-host. I'll take yeah. it. Yeah. I know. It's fun.
1: Um, so Wendy is a certified This Naked Mind coach, uh, but she also sort of specializes in burnout and balance. And I want to talk a little bit about that. But before we get to that, Wendy, tell just tell us your story. How did you end up coming to coaching? Uh, what has your journey been like?
2: So I have, I had a previous career Um, for 12 years. I practiced law. That was kind of my, my first life. I call it my past life. Um, And in the course of that, it's kind of a long and complicated story, but I, um, I never really loved it. It wasn't the right thing for me. I didn't realize that at the time I felt like I needed to figure out how to make it fit. Um, I had a really great job. I happened to be really good at it, um, which made it even harder for me to leave. And that is why I stayed there for 12 years. I also had two kids back to back um, within a seven month period. Um, one of them was adopted at birth and the other one was born seven months later. So that all happened kind of just as my career was really picking up. So Mm -hmm. things got really crazy in the last five years that I was practicing law. And this is relevant because I think we're going to talk about burnout today. And I have my Mm -hmm. own story around burnout and this is kind of what this led to. So eventually, um, I got out of law um, and I moved back to, um, I'm from Canada. I moved back to the other side of the country where I'm from and um, spent a year recovering from burnout effectively. So took a year. Um, my kids were four at the time and they were home from school still. They weren't, they hadn't started um, primary yet. So I spent a year with them at home, um, which was amazing because I'd hardly seen them in the first four years of their life um, and um, also gave me a chance to physically recover from burnout and figure out what I wanted to do next And I really, I wasn't sure, but I was really interested in natural nutrition and food. I'd started to get really into, um, through the course of recovering from the burnout, I'd started to get really into um, fueling myself properly and feeding my kids properly, which I think is a really natural thing that happens. When we have kids, we start looking at our own food. So Mm -hmm. I decided to go back to school and do a certification in natural nutrition. So I spent, when my kids went to primary, I spent a year, in uh, a course um and became a certified natural nutrition consultant and that's when i started coaching so that was uh 10, 10 years ago now that i started coaching largely around food but it became really apparent to me during the course of that um practice in the early years that most people actually knew exactly what they should be eating. They just couldn't figure out how to do it. And the real magic um, in what I did was figuring out how to help people actually make it happen in their real lives. And so I started doing more what I would call like general coaching and life coaching, because that was really what people needed. The reasons why people weren't eating the way they wanted to eat or were relying on food as an unhealthy coping mechanism, those were complicated. um, And um, they weren't just they weren't just looking for a meal plan. Um, And that wasn't really what I wanted to do. So that's how my coaching practice started 10 years ago. And then of course, I have my own personal story around alcohol. And that's, um, that was building during the course of all of this. I had started drinking, um, you know, socially, like everybody does. I had a pretty um, traditional kind of college um, experience around alcohol and also law school experience around alcohol I started practicing law it became relatively apparent to me early on that alcohol was going to be a part of my job yeah. um, in that you know it was part of marketing for the first time in my life I was drinking really expensive wine I was drinking red wine for the first time in my life I didn't even mm-hmm. like it before I started practicing law um, and um, it was part of a lot of the marketing um, activities the also the socializing just amongst us as lawyers, celebrating every time something went well. Um, It just became a more regular occurrence in my life. Wasn't really a Mm -hmm. problem, but it was like, it was building through those years. During the course of the, when the burnout really started to happen, when I had the two kids, um, I had no social life, as you can imagine, because I had two babies at home and I was um, I had just made partner at the firm. So I was trying to balance all that stuff. I started relying on alcohol as a coping mechanism. It really was an escape for me. Um, and then after I moved back to um, Nova Scotia, which is where I am now and started my coaching practice. Um, I was right in the, it was right smack at the beginning of that mummy wine culture thing. It was 2003, my kids were three and uh, 2004, yeah. my kids were born. And that's really when that ramped up.
0: Mm-hmm. And so it was
2: all around me. And I had this free time I'd never had before. And um, I was just determined to, you know, have all kinds of fun because I felt like, you know, my, my, <laughs> my past life wasn't that much fun. And so yeah. um, I just ended up really... Um, buying into that idea that it was totally normal to drink all the time and that's when alcohol started to ramp up for me and eventually i got to a place where it was no longer serving me it was taking more than i was giving and i tried to moderate a million times like we all do and Mm -hmm. um finally um just serendipitously um downloaded this naked mind um the audiobook before i was going on a long road trip and listened to the entire thing in one day. And I was so excited about the fact that I didn't have to stop drinking. I always say that. I love that. That was like, I was, as soon as I heard Annie say that, I was like, I'm in. Yes. Um, and so. Quit drinking book that
1: um, doesn't make me quit drinking. Awesome.
2: Exactly. I was like, great. This is exactly what I've been looking for. So I listened to the whole book and it really, by the time I got back home, um, I still had a half an hour left in the book and I stayed in the driveway and finished it because I was so, I felt like this, it was just um, you know, I really did feel like it was more than a coincidence that I found this book at this time Mm. in my life. And it changed everything for me. I then did the alcohol experiment, um, on my own, not a live experiment, but I did the, the, um, free alcohol experiment, which I just thought was amazing. And, you know, I'm now about three years alcohol free, but what happened was, it became really apparent to me early on that this methodology was incredible. This whole um, idea of reducing cognitive dissonance and um, working on underlying thoughts and beliefs. I thought this is a game changer, not just for alcohol, but for all of these other areas that I'm already practicing in, in my coaching practice. And so um, I immediately started using a lot of the learning, um, just the self-learning that I had from listening to Annie and reading the book and doing the alcohol experiment. But then I also started badgering you guys about when you were going to open a certification program.
1: You had so many emails about that. People I
2: know, that. because I just felt like this was, this would be such an incredible um, set of skills to add to my coaching repertoire. Mm-hmm. Um, and also for the first time in my life, I felt like I had a right to coach around alcohol. I always right. felt... Like it was very, um, uh, just did not feel like I did not have a lot of integrity around coaching with alcohol because of what I was doing in my own life. And because it was, I still felt like I hadn't gotten to the place I wanted to get to with my own relationship with alcohol. So once I felt like I, I truly achieved that freedom from alcohol and, you know, legitimately was not interested in alcohol anymore. It felt like this was something that would make perfect sense for me to add to my practice. So that's kind of where we got to. I mean, I I guess the piece I missed is that I I also started really focusing in on burnout um, because of my own experience with burnout. And because I was seeing that a lot of these, um, the reasons that people were coming to me, the symptom might have been something like I'm using food in a way I don't want to use food. I'm using alcohol in a way I don't want to use alcohol, uh, use alcohol, or I'm using social media in a way I don't want to use it. Mm -hmm. But the root cause for a lot of these women that I was working with was burnout. Um, And so You know, the alcohol piece fits in really nicely with that as
0: well.
1: And that's exactly, well, that's like my first question for you was, is this like burnout is a phrase we hear all the time. I think people throw it around um, and there's a lot of different meanings to it. So from your perspective as a burnout and balance coach, how do you define burnout? Like, what does that actually mean?
2: Yeah. It's, it's another, it's kind of like alcoholic. It, there's right. no, you know, the definition of burnout is vague and there are lots of different ways to define it. And of course I don't treat or diagnose burnout that's outside right. of the scope. But, um, what I, what I can say is this, it's been, it's now been recognized by the world health organization as an actual occupational phenomenon. And that happened a couple of years ago. And when that happened, that was a big deal yeah. because it effectively legitimized it as a real thing. Um, And of course, that was in the context of work. So workplace burnout, which is a big piece of the burnout that I see. But most commonly, what I see is a combination of what I call workplace or um, occupational burnout and caregiver burnout. So a lot of the women in particular that I work with, and I do work mostly with women, not all with women, but mostly um, the women that I work with Are very often extremely successful, driven professional women who are also caring for a bunch of other people. So they're caring for kids oftentimes, and then just to add another level of potential burnout to it, they're also caring for aging parents. And -hmm. when you put all of those things together, it's like the perfect storm for burnout. And so burnout really is, um, it's the most common, there are a bunch of symptoms that are associated with burnout, and I think that's the easiest way to kind of define yeah. it for people. You're not going to have all of them necessarily, but here are some of the things that are very commonly um, present when somebody is at a place of burnout. So the first one is exhaustion, um, yeah. just physical, pure physical exhaustion, also mental exhaustion. Um, one of the ones that I think is really telling is that people will say to me a lot when they come in to see me, they'll say like, I don't know what happened. I used to be this glass half full person. Like I was always Ooh. so positive and now I feel like I'm just defaulting all the time to this kind of cynical, pessimistic attitude. That's super common with burnout. Um, decreased work performance. Um, but I will say like just generally decreased performance. So whatever nice. your responsibilities are, whether they're caregiving responsibilities or they are work responsibilities or both, you just can't do them as well as you used to be able to do them. Um, One, This one was like a telltale one for me. I always say I used to have a notepad by my bed bed on my bedside table and I would wake up in the middle of the night and make notes about files. Um, And that is directly connected to this um, sign of burnout, which is that you're just always preoccupied with work. Yeah. So you just can't shut your brain off. Like your brain is just going just a mile a minute all the time and... When I was at work, I was worried about my kids and I had a similar list on my desk that was like, had the word kids on top of it. And it was like, Duncan needs his immunization shot and so-and-so, you know, like I had all this, this stuff at, at, that I was worried about with my kids. And I was thinking about that all the time when I was at work. And when I was at home, I was always thinking about work. And that's a really, um, that's kind of a hallmark of burnout. Yeah, really yeah. Um, and then this is kind of the the I guess the the big one in terms of the alcohol connection. There is um, there tends to be an increased reliance on unhealthy coping mechanisms
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, when you're when you're in burnout or approaching burnout. And of course, that's because you're overwhelmed and it's just so stressed out and so anxious and exhausted. And you are looking for the thing that is going to take you out of that. Yeah. Um and oftentimes that is alcohol. Sometimes it's food, social media, gambling. I mean, online shopping. Like I see a lot of um, a lot of um, a lot different of coping mechanisms, but yeah. alcohol is a big one, um, especially if you're working in a profession where that's part of the culture.
0: Yes. Um, yeah. yeah.
2: Or if you're a mom and you're you're you know right in that mom wine culture, um, and yeah. it's being it's being normalized all around you. Couple other things, friction and personal relationships and work relationships, that's really common. So your relationships just start to deteriorate.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and this is probably the thing I hear the most. People will say, I have everything I ever wanted. Like, I have it all, Wendy. It's all here on, pa- on paper. I've got a great job. I've got the family that I worked really hard for. I've got um, a really great house, financial security. Um, I should be happy. Should but I'm not, yeah. something is missing, right? Just this feeling of like general dissatisfaction and you can't put your finger on it. That's a really common thing that I hear in my practice around burnout. The last thing that happens, and this is the really unfortunate part about burnout is that if you don't take care of yourself in burnout and, um, and take some steps to try to get yourself out of it, eventually burnout will lead to physical consequences, and some of them are really severe, so it can increase you know your risks of things like obesity, depression, high blood pressure, and you know the various chronic illnesses that are associated with those things so um, it can become quite serious but that 's burnout
1: that is awesome. Thank you for <laughs> framing that because I you know again it's like it's one of those terms. I like how you compared it to alcoholic because it's you know I remember. Um, early on in my journey, my dad's been in AA for a long time. And I remember asking him like, how do you know you're an-? like, I wanted, I wanted a, I wanted a checklist. Right. And he's like, we yeah. just know. And it was so amorphous and it was so weird. And I heard people using it in so many different ways. So I appreciate having that definition.
2: Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's really, that's a great point. I mean, I do have a checklist on my burnout, like on my website, you mm-hmm. can take it for free um, because it's helpful. And, but I always yeah. say like, it's, you sh- if you're going through this checklist and you're like, okay, yeah, I got that. I got that. I don't have that. I got that. I mean, I I always say this, like the fact that you're taking the checklist, like that you're doing the checklist is probably a sign that something's off. Just like, you know, when I was Googling in the middle of the night, am I an alcoholic? That was probably a sign that I needed to look into my relationship with alcohol, right?
1: Totally. Totally. That's awesome. All right, let's dive into a couple of questions here. So um, I'll go with this one. First, uh, it goes like this. Hello, I have been drinking heavily for about 10 years, mostly to deal with the stress of my business. I'm a business owner, and that has come with a lot of late nights, weekends, and super intense work. Alcohol is definitely causing issues in my life. I'm really clear on that. What I am less clear on, though, is what the hell am I going to do with all of this stress? I'm concerned that the alcohol is in some way helping. I know it's hurting a lot too. I just want to make sure I can still function and handle everything I have to take care of. So we hear stuff like this all the time. Wendy, I'd love to hear sort of how you would address this question because it's such a good
2: question. And the truth is, I don't think there's one answer to that. Um, I I guess the, the, the only way to give kind of a single answer to that would be this kind of general answer, which is you need to start building a toolkit of other, um, coping mechanisms, like Mm -hmm. healthy coping mechanisms. And that's, I use this analogy sometimes with, um, I know there's different analogies around a backpack, but this is a great analogy around burnout and, and just generally dependence on alcohol. I think when people come to see me for the first time in the, you know, similar situation to this business owner where they're just feeling like they're completely overwhelmed and they're relying too much on alcohol. It's almost like they've, they're wearing a backpack and it's full of rocks and all of the rocks in the backpack are all of the stressors, triggers, reasons why they think they drink, all of, you know, all of it, all of that stuff. It's all in that backpack and the backpack is damn heavy because it's been mm-hmm. building over years and years and years, right, and they're now at the point where they're thinking, I can't do this anymore. The goal, I think, in the first year of recovery from burnout, as well as becoming alcohol free, um, and again, oftentimes those things go together, and that's what we're talking about today. The goal, yeah. in my as a coach for me with my clients, is to help my clients unpack the rocks one by one. But most importantly, every time we take a rock out, we put a tool in. Yes. So that by the end of it, they feel like they are still carrying a backpack, but now it's like a toolkit.
1: I um, and, love and that.
2: They can, and they can use that. And that's really what you have to do because even though we know that alcohol is not an effective coping mechanism and that it does, you know, rationally, and this person probably knows this, that rationally it's not making anything better. It's actually compounding stress. Um, it's still the only mechanism this person has. So it's, it's the only tool that they have. And we cannot expect ourselves to stop using a tool that works or that we think works at least without having something to replace it with. We have to have a replacement tool. So the next question is like, what is that? What are the replacement tools? Um, There are so many of them. And so what I usually suggest to people is that we start with some low hanging fruit. And what I mean by that is something that is not going to rock your world um, and totally throw you into a tailspin and take up hours of your time, but that actually is going to have some real positive benefit right out of the gate. And there are a couple of those, um, tools that I think, um, are really helpful and might be really helpful to this person. So the first one is meditation. And I'm not talking about like rolling out the yoga mat chanting and, you know, finding, you know, some other spiritual level and taking hours to do it. I'm talking about like maybe 10 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and starting just with a really, really simple practice around that, a lot of people are afraid of meditation because they think yeah. it's like super woo-woo, and you know um, that they have to turn their brains off. This is the thing I hear all the time, right? Like, oh my god, I'm so terrible at that. I can't, right. I, can't I can't do
0: it.
2: Do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> my brain's just racing the whole time, and I say that's the point. That's why you need to keep doing it, right? Because all of our brains are racing. I mean, you're not mm-hmm. special if you think your brain is racing. And in burnout, right. it's often racing even more. Mm -hmm. Um, which again is just another reason why meditation is such a helpful tool because the goal of meditation really is not to stop thinking. It's to start recognizing the thoughts that you're having and get better and better at pushing them aside and coming back to the present moment that you're in. Um, And so there's tons of research out there. We don't have time to get into all of it, but there's if you're curious about it, go and research it. There are so many amazing benefits to meditation definitely benefits in terms of stress and anxiety management, but also in terms of productivity, which is one of the problems with burnout. I said that when I was listing the symptoms, right? That you tend to, it's, you just get, it's harder for you to be productive and do things well. Um, so meditation will help with that as well. So meditation is one tool that I really, really love. You can just download one of the free apps. Like you don't need to get fancy with it. You can download the Calm app or Headspace. There's so many of them out there. There's so and, many
1: great tools too. Yeah. Like it's everywhere. So much. Yeah. yeah.
2: Easy, easy to do. And if you are somebody who's thinking like, oh, I couldn't possibly do guided meditation and have somebody talking to me, which by the way, I get, cause I don't like that either. You can just the only thing you really need to meditate is you need something that serves as what I call an anchor. It could be your breath. So it could be as simple as just paying attention to your breath, just sitting quietly and feeling your breath and listening to your breath, come in and out of your body. Um, or it could be what I like to do is just find like a really calm soundtrack. It might be like a nature soundtrack, like spa type music, right? And just kind of listen to that. And then whenever you find yourself thinking about something you, you say, oh, I'm thinking, and then you pull yourself back to that anchor, and you just try to focus in on that. So it's a really easy, accessible tool, and that's why I like it. People find that they get benefit out of it really soon after they start. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things, too. It's like such an easy act of self-care, which people really struggle with. And self-care is for men and women. It is not just for women. I yes. To say that. yes. And, you know, really, self-care just means taking care of yourself, which is you know, you probably got to burnout because you weren't doing such a great job of that. So now is the time to do that. Um, And when people say to me, oh, I'm trying to meditate, but I feel like I'm getting nowhere with it. I can't turn my brain off. I'll say, look, worst case scenario, you sat quietly for 10 minutes and took that time out for yourself, you know, worst case. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's pretty good chance that it actually did a lot more than that. So meditation is one tool. The other one that I really love, Scott, I don't know how you feel about this one, but I love gratitude as a practice. For oh burnout.
1: yeah, I'm big on that. I'm and really it's big.
2: it's yeah. just so great for burnout because of course the thing that a simple gratitude practice does is it trains our brain to get more awake, present, more in the moment mm. and basically to identify good things that are happening around us more often.
0: Yes. And yes. one
2: of the symptoms of burnout, like I said, is that you go from this place of glass half full to a place of glass half empty you're not seeing the good stuff that's happening around you anymore. And life feels really crappy, you know? Um, So gratitude is another one because it's also very accessible to people. It takes two minutes a day. Um, Mm -hmm. All you need to do is be, you gotta be really specific. We know that big picture gratitude isn't very helpful. So you gotta get into like the details of it. So it needs to be, Um, really specific. Like I'm really grateful for the fact that I have the opportunity to talk about burnout today on this podcast, because I think I'm going to be able to help a lot of people. That's a really specific example of gratitude, as opposed to, I am grateful for my family, which is what we're all the time. That kind of gratitude is not going to have the impact that you want, but getting really specific with gratitude, three things a day, the smaller, the better that were kind of cool that happened to you, that made you feel good, that gave you a little spark of joy. Those are the things that you write down and you just keep doing that over and over. If you're the kind of person who's gonna forget to do that, like me, set an alarm on your phone, put a reminder yeah. somewhere, like just remind yourself to do it. Um, so those are some my two tool, my, my kind of two first starter tools <clears throat> that I use. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The interesting thing I think about that with tools like that um, is that we don't have to wait until we quit drinking like so that there, there's uh i remember working with someone in one of our groups a few years ago and she <laughs> showed up on a call and she actually said scott i am really excited to exercise and meditate and i have this whole evening routine i cannot wait to do it and i'm gonna start when i quit like for me and i was like whoa hang on a second right and so we unpacked that a little bit in the sense that you know Um, I liken it to, you know, when you buy a new car, right? So when you buy a new car, normally you take your car to the dealership and then you hand them those keys and they hand you the other keys and then you keep going. But prior to that, you've test driven that new car. You know, you've researched that new car, right? You know how that new car is gonna fit into your life. You've probably been thinking about it a lot. The same thing is true with this. And exactly like you said, taking one of those rock stressors out of your backpack um, does definitely feel good, but you need to have the tools in place. And that's one of the things with this process along the lines of, you know, we don't ask you to quit drinking right away is that you get to try this stuff out. And it doesn't mean that you're meditating or doing gratitude in place of alcohol, maybe down the road it does. But when you first start, you can actually start to show yourself, wait a minute, This stuff actually does happen Um, and you're not doing it under the stress of, well, I can't drink. So I guess I'll meditate. Right. Instead, you're doing an experiment and you're saying, okay, I wonder if this works. I wonder if that works. And it's a really fun journey of discovery. I find people are trying out these different tools and trying to figure out, like, how do I actually help myself calm down? It's something that for a long time we just kind of lost the ability to do.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's such a great point because it's actually one of the best things you can do to, I always talk about, I think any big, big change. And for a lot of us and a lot of the people listening to this podcast, their one big thing, like that thing that they really know they need to deal with, the elephant in the room, it's drinking, right? And with any big change that you're trying to make, you're always going to be in a better position to make that change and make it last and make it pleasurable If you have a healthy foundation
0: underneath, you
2: You have a healthy base for change. Right. So I talk a lot about this idea with my clients of like building this healthy foundation for change. And sometimes we'll actually purposefully put off the big change because I'll say, let's build this foundation up first, because, you know, maybe it's, it might be around this might be around meditation and and tools to manage stress. If they don't have any, and, but they, you know, they decide to just quit drinking, it's going to be really tricky. Yeah. It's going to be so tricky for them. And this is what I did actually. When I um, when I stopped drinking, I actually started meditating months before I stopped drinking um, mm-hmm. because at the time my dad was very ill. So we were all under this intense amount of stress and I was trying to figure out how to manage that. And I also started a gratitude practice then because it was really important to me to, I was really working on this idea of like being present and finding the joy because it felt like there wasn't a lot of joy around because we were dealing with this really sad set of circumstances with my dad. And so I started that stuff before I went alcohol-free and I actually think it was a huge piece of my ability to stay alcohol-free. I think it was a huge piece of like, it really played a big role in it. And I kept doing all of the things. I just kept doing them all um, through the course of that first year alcohol-free I still do them now. I still meditate. And, um, but it wasn't at the time. It was like, those were specific tools in my backpack.
1: Yeah. I was going to do every day. Yeah. I feel like it's really important to challenge that belief, right? That belief of I need alcohol to get through this. And, you know, again, like you can tell someone, I can tell someone, they can read a book on it, but like until they start doing it and experience it for themselves, that actually is going to change the way that they think. So when that stressor comes up, that feeling over time of, I need alcohol to deal with this will shift, right? And what that thought sounds like and what emotions come up for them will be different because you know, maybe you know, a, a little bit down the road, they start thinking you know, that, that stressor happens and they think, oh, I didn't meditate today. That is such a huge win, right? If that is the thought that comes up instead of where's the closest liquor store, yeah. um, it, it, it is so vitally important for people to realize that they have the resources they need to deal with the stress right? It is inside of them. They may have forgotten about it. They may have just, you know, kind of lost the ability to find it and grab onto it and and do that for themselves. But it is already there. And that's one of the things I love about, you know, tactics, like you said, like meditation and gratitude. That takes nothing. They got everything they need, you know? There's
2: an even easier one, Scott, that I just thought of. I can't believe I didn't say this one as my primary tool. Um, You know, one of the Really cool things that people don't know is that they actually have the power to trick their body into thinking that the stress is gone, even when the stress is still there. And I think this is probably one of our biggest superpowers as humans. And a lot of people are aware of this because we talk about this all the time, but they don't really understand what's happening in in their bodies, and so that they're not motivated to do it. And this tactic is changing your breathing. That's what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about here. So When we go into fight or flight, which is the stress response, what happens is our adrenaline rises, our cortisol rises, and that basically triggers, I would say it's like a set of dominoes, like the the very first domino that moves is that our breathing pattern changes. So we go from a more relaxed, um, deep breathing pattern to a shallow, rapid breath Mm -hmm. Um, and then that kind of that domino knocks a bunch of other dominoes our blood pressure goes up our heart rate goes up our muscles contract our eyesight sharpens all of this stuff is happening in our body to help us deal with that threatening or stressful situation and that's fine in the short term I mean it's a really great response it's there to help protect us against these uh, these situations but the problem is the people that I deal with and the person who wrote that question in we're not dealing with short-term stressors you know which is really what our body's designed for we're designed to like fight the saber-toothed tiger either die right. in which case you're relaxed very quickly yes. get to safety through flight which in which case you're relaxed fairly quickly or kill the saber-toothed tiger in which case you're relaxed fairly quickly so we're really designed to go from the stress mode to the rela- what's called the relaxation response really quickly but it doesn't happen for us um, in in modern society because we are just bombarded with stressors all day long. Stress
1: keeps coming. Yeah, exactly.
2: Right. A lot of my clients will say they feel like they're just walking around with this like cloud that just follows them of stress. And I think the person who wrote that question is probably feeling that way. And so what happens is they're actually in fight or flight and they're not coming out of it. So their cortisol is rising and it's staying elevated for a long time. Mm -hmm. And that can become really dangerous. Um, But the really cool thing is, is that we have the power to flip the first domino. The other way so the very first domino as i said that that flips when our cortisol and adrenaline rise in fight or flight is our breathing our breathing changes and so we have this incredible power simply by changing our breathing so to forcibly push ourselves into a pattern of deep slow breaths we can actually you know, move all of the dominoes back in the other direction, including the last one, which is bringing our cortisol back down, which is just incredibly powerful from a health perspective. So breathing is also an incredible tool around stress and burnout, and it's accessible to everybody. And that's why I always say, I love the fridge magnets. And there's one that says, just breathe. And there's another one that I love that says, don't sweat the small stuff. And those are all really relevant, even though nobody knows what they mean. (laughs) Um, This is what Just breathe means this is why breathing is so powerful and why yoga is so relaxing because within a few minutes of a yoga class, someone is literally telling you how to breathe. You have changed your breathing pattern. Someone's saying inhale, exhale. And so you're getting into that deep breathing pattern. Meditation does the same thing. It slows our breath down. Um, But we can actually just do breathing exercises. And there are a lot of exercises out there that are super simple. If you just Google it, you know, breathing for stress, there's like box breathing and nox- nostril breathing, and I'm not going to demo mm. them right now, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's easy to find those and they're really yeah. effective. Yeah, That
1: is an awesome tip. I love that. That's such a good tip. Um, um, I want to go on, I want to get one more question in before we yeah, run sure. out of time. Um, and this is another thing that I see uh, come up a lot. We get similar questions like this. So here's a question. I stopped drinking for a month and was feeling great. I had some very stressful events happen, a huge trigger for me, and I started drinking again, thinking it would be short-lived. Now, four weeks later, I am frustrating, frustrated that I am struggling to stop again. Did you have any struggles like this? And is this normal? She put normal in quotes.
2: <laughs> yes and yes. <laughs> That's my <laughs> short nice right? answer. You
1: probably it's one of the know. things, so I, I feel like, <laughs> It's really interesting being on this side of the camera because people will see you and they'll be like, oh, well, easy for him or easy for her. But no, I had those struggles. I had plenty of time when, you know, back and forth, like it's never a clean journey. So I'm curious how you would answer that.
2: Yeah, I would say absolutely. Same thing for me. And I mean, we have to be, you have to be really careful about that. And I always try to, I try to be clear whenever I tell my story that yes, when I downloaded that Audible book, it changed my life. But before that, there were years yes. of me trying to make change, years of me going through that same cycle where I would be able to stop for a while and I would make up rules for myself and do all the stuff that we do and then break them and beat myself up. So yes, I definitely went through that. And I think that that is part of the process. And I say that to my clients when I'm coaching around alcohol, like this is rarely a smooth path. There are yeah. always going to be bumps. Line.
0: Yeah, and the yeah. trick
2: is really, I think, to start embracing those bumps as um, learning opportunities. Like this mm-hmm. is a chance for me to learn something really important about myself that I can use going forward to really um, cement my alcohol-free life. Like just to, yes. to get, yeah, as I go forward, you know, I had, a, I had a, a client last week who had a data point as we call them
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: and was really devastated about that. But man, did she learn some amazing stuff from it. And I just met with her actually this morning and She's just had these incredible epiphanies in the last week about a bunch of stuff that really matters. And the thing is, it was bound to come up, you know? And so I always say that like when you have a data point, um, the important thing is to actually dig into it and figure out what was happening before that. What what was the type of stress? How did you eat that day? Were you hungry? Did you sleep the night before? Like what Mm -hmm. are the potential factors that contributed to you making the decision to drink in the moment? And then take each one of those factors and kind of like reverse engineer it. How do I put myself in a position next time where those aren't, those factors aren't present?
1: Exactly.
2: How can I set myself up for better success the next time around it? Um, The most important thing though, that I would say to that person is you have to be kind to yourself. You have to, you have to, because as soon as you start kicking yourself and just beating yourself up and talking to yourself in a really negative way. You are just compounding the stress associated with that event. It is going to make it so difficult for you to not drink again the next night. So difficult. And that's how we get ourselves into that cycle. I would say to this, this person, take a deep breath. Go back to your list of whys if you did that before. If you didn't do a list of whys yet, do a list of whys. All of the reasons why it's so important to you to get back to that place that you were when you were alcohol-free. Try to remember all of the things about how you felt and what was available to you in that time that is not available to you now. And write all of those things down. And then do your list of all the reasons why you think you can't. All the reasons why you think you need to drink, which is really the backpack of rocks, right? That's what that is. Um, And and kind of press the reset button a little bit and just give yourself a break and recognize that this is just part of the process and you weren't ready to be completely alcohol-free yet and that's okay (laughs) because you will get there. If you keep moving forward, you will get there.
1: It's so funny to me when I work with people and when I say this, people are like, oh yeah, that makes tons of sense. But for some reason, it doesn't occur to us at the time. You know, A lot of us get to where we got to with alcohol over a long period of time, you know, some people it's decades. I know for me it was over ten years until I was like, "Uh oh," um, and so we we find ourselves in this position, and then we have this idea that I should just be able to stop. Right, it doesn't make any sense, right? When you look at the fact that you've had a long period of time with a lot of built-up beliefs and habits and routines and the stuff that we all have. I mean, if you look at what happens over a ten-year span, like before I started, when I started drinking, I was in college. Mm-hmm. By the time I quit drinking, I had moved to New York City. I had moved to Maine. I had gotten married. I had had a kid. I had gotten divorced. All of these things, and that's just a small list like all of these things have happened and so those things were happening with alcohol in my life and so I was going through life that way mm-hmm. so the idea that one day we should there's that word again should like be able to just turn it off it doesn't make any sense you know it and I think
2: totally it, doesn't yeah it totally it, doesn't yeah.
1: I think sometimes it's easy for people to see it if they don't think about themselves right yeah. if they look at someone else like and so I'll tell them like imagine you had a friend who did this right what would you say to them you yeah. would say exactly what we're telling you, you know, that like, this is a process and it's okay. And it's a learning moment. And to, instead of being so stuck on this idea of I'm going to stay alcohol free forever, yeah. be present in the journey and yeah. take those lessons and move forward. I think it makes such a huge difference.
2: Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And I mean, the other thing you have to remember is like, you've only prob- most of the people I work with, when I ask them what they're, how they cope, what are your coping strategies? The answer is red wine, beer. Like it's, yeah. that, it's, it's the only one. And that's, that's yeah. what it was for me uh, before Absolutely. I started working on meditation and gratitude and getting, you know, really focusing on exercise and all of the other tools that I use. Um, it was my only coping mechanism and that you just, you've been using it for 10 years, reliably, religiously, yeah. you cannot expect there. yourself. Yeah, you just can't, ex- you'd, you'd have to be superhuman to just mm-hmm. leave that behind and then all of a sudden cope I'm putting this in air quotes if right. you're listening to the podcast with, with no tools for that mm-hmm. like not exactly. one tool you know um mm-hmm. and that's a tough one and the other thing that i like to remind people of because people get really down on themselves when we have that discussion because they say oh i can't believe that i got sucked into this crappy coping mechanism i thought it's such a you know i just got pulled into this and i've just been treating myself like crap for the last however many years i'm such a failure And I will always say to them this, which I think is important to remember, we never, the first time we use something as a way of self-medicating, it is coming from a place of self-love. It is not a destructive self, you know, act of self-hatred. That's not what's happening. We know from experience that this thing is going to help us in the moment. And we care enough about ourselves to help ourselves. And so we reach for the thing because it's there and because it does it unfortunately you know we now know that it really doesn't in the long term do a lot of the things that we thought it was going to do but in that very moment when we first use it for self-medication we're not doing it because we're weak or we're losers or we're failures or whatever we're doing it because we we want to feel better and there's nothing wrong with that and the trick to replacing that coping mechanism is getting back into that space of like how do I actually take care of myself? What do I actually need? And that's where all of these coping mechanisms come from. They come truly from a place of that, that self-care where it's where you're actually thinking about what you need more of in your life and what you need less of.
1: Yes. yes. Like
2: what are the things you need less of? And in the case of burnout, that's a big part of the equation. Learning how to say no more often, which is something I work with all the time with people on. Um, yes, just too. getting better at that, right?
1: Yeah. I totally get it. That's awesome. Well, thank you, and Wendy, this has been awesome. So I'm gonna ask you the question I ask everybody. It's a question I just throw at you at the end. Um, So you work with people who have dealt with burnout. Um, So what would you say, and really, what is one thing you want someone right now who is struggling with burnout and who knows that alcohol is not helping them, um, but doesn't know where to turn? What is one thing that you think they should know as they're starting to try to change some things in their life.
2: That it gets better. I I mean, that that you can come back from burnout. Like, burnout is not a death sentence. I've recovered from burnout, and I have helped and watched hundreds of people recover from burnout. The most important thing is that you're at the place that you are right now where you're actually recognizing and becoming aware of the fact that things are not good enough. And... That's the piece that I think I would say to hold on to and really celebrate. Like it feels really crappy when you get there because that's what awareness is. It's all, it always feels crummy, but it is the beginning of something amazing for you. If you actually listen to what your body is telling you.
1: That is awesome. Thank you for that. That's such a good answer. Um, Wendy, what is your website if people want to find out more about you and your programs?
2: wendymccallum.com W-E-N-D-Y-M-C-C-A-L-L-U-M
1: dot com. Awesome. We will put a link to that in the show notes as well. Wendy, thank you so much for joining me. It was great chatting. You
2: are welcome. Thanks for having me, Scott.
1: All right. And everybody, if you want more information, please check out the show notes for Wendy's website. And we'll be back next month with another episode of Coaching Questions. Take care.
0: Bye. Hi, it's Annie Grace. I wanted to interrupt this podcast, or I guess the end of this podcast, to say that if you are totally serious, about actually truly and forevermore transforming your relationship with alcohol, really leaving it behind in the rear view mirror for once and forevermore and changing your psychology about it. We have a program called the path that is created specifically for you. Now it's not for you if you just, you know, are still dabbling or still trying to figure out where you want to be, or, you know, maybe even still want to moderate. All those things are fine. But if you are beyond that and you're like, no, I just want to be done with this. I'm ready to invest some time and I'm ready to just make this happen. I want you to check out nakedmindpath.com and join us in the path where you can truly make this lasting change you want in your life. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.